Great to have you with us. Go ahead and have a seat. It's good to see you. Uh, I just want to say welcome. Welcome to Edinburgh Church, whether you're joining us here live uh, in the audience or if you're joining us online, tuning in online, great to have you with us as well. We know you are here in spirit. And uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And hey, I just want to share something real quick, just kind of this neat uh, highlight. Pastor Tyler last week just shared about how we did VBS week uh, a week ago. And uh, we had to go virtual. And I thought, oh, okay, roll with the changes, roll with the COVID. And uh, I just thought I'd share, we heard stories this week about a, a number of families that bought extra like supply bags and invited their neighborhood kids to their home to do the VBS in their home. I thought, that is so cool. And that's getting the vision. That's being you know, intentional about saying, Who, who's in our neighborhood in our circle of influence that we could maybe share the message of Jesus with. And so, hey, if you're one of those families, can I just say, way to go. That's super cool. And uh, to piggyback on that, I am going to say, you know, just, hey, we appreciate your generosity and your support. That's the reason why we do it. And we were able to keep those VBS costs as low as possible uh, so that we could do something like a virtual VBS. And it's still out there. Like, it's still out. People can go watch it online. And I just think, what a great great tool for ministry. So, hey, if you brought a financial gift with you today, just want to say thank you. You can drop that in the boxes out on the pillars. Or if you're tuning in online and uh, you want to support the ministry here at Edinburgh, you can go to edinburghchurch.org. It is the last Sunday of our fiscal year. I'm just going to put that out there. Just, it's crazy. Like the year just flew by. But uh, man, your gifts, they make a difference. Thank you. Hey, uh, why don't you join me in a word of prayer? Well, Father, we just want to slow down for a second and Say good morning. Good morning, Lord. Thanks for being here in this space, God. We pray that you would fill this room. Pray that you would speak to us. We're here for you. And so, Lord, we just want to open our hearts, open our minds to you to say, what would you hear from us today? What would you, or what would you say to us today? God, I pray that we would be flexible, moldable, shapeable, and Uh, gentle in heart. So God, speak to us this morning. We invite you in. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, like I said, my name is Josh, one of the pastors. We've been in a series titled Hashtag Blessed, and we're looking at the eight Beatitudes of Jesus Christ found at the front end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, it was Jesus' most famous message ever given. He spoke to a crowd of thousands of people, but before he dove into the meat and potatoes, He laid out these eight Beatitudes, and he was trying to set the stage and call all of us to kind of say, hey, get your heart ready for what I'm about to share with you. I want you to live out and and receive these kind of eight attitudes of the heart, and I wanted you to reflect. And he laid out these eight things. Today, we're going to look at the fifth Beatitude, which talks about mercy. And before we dive into that, I want to set it up with a story, a story that I, I read, and it gives me goosebumps every time. And I want you to hear this story. It's the story of a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Now, Corey Ten Boom was a woman, she had incredible faith, and she survived several months in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. She witnessed the death of her sister in this concentration camp. And I want to share her story briefly this morning. Listen to it. These are her words. This is her story. She says this. It was a church in Munich when I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany 
with the message that God forgives. That when we confess our sins, when we ask forgiveness, God takes our sins and he dumps them in the deepest ocean, gone forever. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. The Ravensbrook detention camp memories came rushing back like a wave. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The floor, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the room. The shame and the embarrassment of walking past this man naked. I could see in my mind my sister's frail form ahead of me, the ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. This man who was making his way forward had been a guard at Ravensbrook, one of the most cruel ones there. And he was now in front of me with his hand thrust out. And he said, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all sins are at the bottom of the sea. Here I stood, I just had just spoken so glibly of forgiveness, and I fumbled with my pocketbook rather than shake his hand. He evidently did not remember me, but I remembered him, and I definitely remembered the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood froze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. I did many terrible things. Since that time, I have invited Christ into my life. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would very much like to ask for your forgiveness as well. Again, his hand came out and he said, will you forgive me? I stood there, I whose sins had been forgiven again and again, and I could not forgive. I could not extend mercy. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It was the most difficult thing I ever had to do. But I knew I had to do it. So I silently prayed, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically... I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm and it sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being and it brought tears to my eyes. And she found herself saying, I forgive you, brother. With all my heart, I forgive you. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love or mercy so intensely as I did in that moment. Friends, Corey Ten Boom demonstrated what it meant in that moment to live out mercy. Now, let's just be honest about mercy. I personally believe there is a strong shortage of it in today's world. There just is. People like justice, not that justice is not important, but there seems to be a shortage of mercy. And let's be hard, mercy is really hard to do. It's great to receive. It's wonderful to receive, but we do not like to give it out. But Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 7, the fifth beatitude. He says this, hey, listen, God blesses 
those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Friends, mercy, if I could just sum it up, it's the act of withholding deserved punishment, or it's the disposition to be compassionate or forgiving. It is hard to do, but God clearly says, I want you to live this out. Okay, Josh, that that sounds good, and you have to say that. You're the preacher, right? Okay, I get it. Why? Why should I live out mercy? Why should I show that person that stung me mercy? Well, let me just start with answering the why. Two very compelling reasons, in my opinion, why we should live out mercy. First is this, because God commands me to be merciful. He commands it. Let me shock you with a statement, okay? God says that being merciful is more important than worship. (gasps) Now, okay, before Amanda comes out here and throws her shoes at me, let me just show you this, okay? God says that you being merciful to other people is actually more important than worship. I want to show you this verse found in Hosea. It's chapter 6. Here's what he says. This is God speaking to his people. He says this, For I, God, desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So what's he saying here? He's saying, I want you to be merciful. This is, this is more important to me than your worship. In fact, in this verse in Hosea, it's so important that Jesus actually quotes this verse in Hosea twice in his ministry when dealing with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And we're going to look at one of those later on. That's how important it is. God's saying, listen, I prefer a flexible heart over an inflexible ritual. God says, hey, it's great that you sing praises and express love to me through song. However, many of you do that And then you go out and you treat people like dirt. You treat family members or friends or coworkers or people in society like they don't matter. If you don't treat people with mercy, listen to me, you've missed the point. God commands me to be merciful. There's another verse in the Bible, in Micah. I bet some of you have heard this one. Micah says this, he's speaking on behalf of the people. Here's what he says, hey, listen up, oh people, listen. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Three things. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you want to summarize what life's all about, God's saying this. This is what's required of you. You've got to do what's right with others. You've got to love being merciful to others, and you've got to live humbly in a relationship with God. Let me put it in terms of a fraction. Okay, this is crazy to me. One third, one third of what God asks you to live out while you're on earth is to live out mercy. One third of your life. Why? Because God is merciful and he commands us to be merciful. Well, the other reason I think why we should live out mercy is because, let's be honest, friends, God has shown us mercy. God's shown me mercy. The Bible says that God is merciful. We see that everywhere throughout the Bible. There are literally hundreds of verses that talk about God's mercy and his love to us. 
In Matthew 18, Jesus is telling a story about an unmerciful employee. This guy owes his boss a ton of money, like a lot of money. We're talking like up to a million dollars. And the boss says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have mercy. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to clear your debt. We're going to wipe it clean. We're going to start fresh. The guy can't believe it because he's just been shown this huge portion of mercy. And then something happens. As he's leaving, he runs into some people who owe him money, far less money than, he, than the debt he just had cleared. And here's what he does. He starts grabbing them by the throat, it says. I, I picture like full-on headlock. You know, maybe he gives them a noogie. I have no idea. Just grabs and says, hey, pay me. Pay me what you owe me or I'm going to have you thrown into prison. Now the news gets back to the boss. And the boss hears this and calls him and says, what's wrong with you? What? I was so merciful to you. I forgave all your debt and you can't, be unmerc- or you can't be merciful to the people around you? Man, what's wrong with you? And then he has that employee thrown in prison. So what's the point? Friends, God wants me to act in the same way to other people. He wants me to pass on the mercy that I've received from God. God says, if I show you mercy, I expect you to show it to others as well. Why? because God has shown me mercy. It's the same, it's these two reasons. Man, I think this is so important. We've got to cultivate a heart of mercy in our lives for other people. So I've kind of shared the why. Let's talk about the how. Because the how is a whole lot harder to do because it's the rubber meets the road. So I just want to share with you four tangible ways that you can live this out this week and in the weeks to come. First one is this. This is not rocket science. First one is this, how can, how, can I li- how can I show mercy? How can I have mercy on someone else? Hey, you know what? Help someone hurting around you. It's that simple. So many people around us are just hurting right now. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. You probably are familiar with that story. To teach this very point. Here's what he said in Luke 10. There's a guy who comes up to Jesus one day. He says, hey, Jesus. What's the most important command in the Bible? Lay it out for me. What matters most? And Jesus is like, well, that's pretty simple. It's love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole Bible in a nutshell. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The guy decides, I'm going to probe a little deeper there. So he says, okay, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. He says, there's a man going down the road to Jericho. And he's robbed and he's beaten and bruised and he's left for dead at the side of the road. Three guys, three guys pass him by and the first two do nothing. The third guy, which happens to be of another race and another culture, stops and helps him, nurses him back to health, puts him on his mule, takes him to a motel, checks in, pays the bill for the guy and says, hey, if there's any other bills when I come back, I'll cover it. Then Jesus looks at this guy and says, now, who do you think was the neighbor? And the guy says, well, probably the guy who showed him the most mercy. Correct answer. Friends, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself without being merciful. We help those hurting around us. Proverbs 3.27, it says it this way. This is so wise. It says, whenever you possibly can. Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Here's something I believe could very well happen to everyone, any of us this week. 
There are going to be people in your circle of influence in your life this week that God will intentionally put in your path to allow you to practice mercy. I'm telling you, I think it's going to happen. Okay, there's, you're going to have someone reach out that has an emotional need or a physical need or maybe even a financial need. They're going to need some sort of assistance. Just watch for it. And the question is going to be, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Now, I'm not trying to be like, this is not a scare tactic, but, I, but you need to hear me. God is going to be watching. God is going to be watching for those moments. But he's not simply watching what you do. He's also going to be watching your attitude. He's going to be watching our hearts. I found this verse in Romans, and I thought, well, this is, this is so spot on. He's, he's talking to people about using their talents and their gifts. And here's what he says. He says, hey, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Do it cheerfully. Again, God, he doesn't just care about the helping, but he also cares about the attitude of our heart when we help as well. Friends, God blesses those who are merciful with the right attitude. And I got I to be honest, there's a lot of times where I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I guess I can help. Hey, what a poor attitude. I got to check my heart. The second reason, or second way that we can't live out mercy, reach out with love to the unpopular. Friends, there are people in your circle, people who live on your street that nobody wants to hang out with, I'm just going to be honest, people who you work with that everybody talks about behind their back. They're just, they're different. Or maybe they have a different lifestyle or they have a different belief system or culture or whatever. But for whatever reason, they're just not quite in the in crowd. They're, they're, they're kind of outcasts. So why does God want us to reach out with love to the unpopular? Because you cannot display or win an enemy to Christ. You just can't. You can only win your friends. And before somebody's going to consider Christ, they've got to have a connection to someone who's Christ-like. Before they go, before they can know Jesus as their friend, they're going to want to know, will you be my friend? That's important. And long before anybody comes to Christ, somebody's got to befriend that person. In a way, you've got to win them to yourself before you can win them to Christ. You must become a friend. Let me show you how Jesus modeled this. He was so good. In uh, Matthew, there's this guy named Matthew, same Matthew, who's a tax collector, and he invites Jesus and his disciples over. Here's what it says. Matthew, this is the tax collector, invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guests, along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. That is actually what it says. That's pretty bold, isn't it? A bunch of notorious sinners were over at Matthew's house. That's what it says. Now, in those days, here's why tax collectors were considered notorious sinners. They were allowed to skim whatever they could get. So a tax collector for Rome could come in and, and Caesar would say, okay, I want one denarii from every household. And the tax collector could come to, you, come to your house and say, I need you to pay 10 denarii. And then that tax collector could take nine and pocket it and just pass one on. There was no recourse. There was no one you could go to to appeal to. It was basically extortion. So the most unpopular people, because they were cheats, crooks, and swindlers, 
were the tax collectors. They were out there on the fringe along with prostitutes and lepers. These were the people that everybody despised. These were the outcasts. These were the unpopular. Let's pick the story up. Here's what it says. When the Pharisees saw this, that Jesus was hanging out and his disciples with these notorious sinners, they they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Wow, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Now, when Jesus heard this, he said, whoa, whoa, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Here it is. I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. There it is, Hosea 6. He's quoting this verse. I have come to call sinners, not those who think they are already good enough. Powerful. See, the Pharisees, they're attacking Jesus for hanging out with the wrong crowd, and Jesus says, you've missed the true nature of mercy. They thought mercy was simply forgiving people and helping people in need. Now, that's true. But mercy also includes intentionally reaching out in love and making connections to the unpopular. Jesus modeled it. He says, you know what? I'm going to hang out with the ill repute, the unpopular, the fringe, the negative, the criminals, the riffraff. Why? Because I understand the true nature of mercy. And you guys have missed it. Again, he says, you've got to learn the heart behind Hosea 6, verse 6. Now, I need to be completely honest and transparent with you guys. As I reflected on this point, I recognize that the problem is the longer that I've been a Christian, the more I tend to hang out with other Christians and fewer non-believing friends. I, I just have. But how can I expect the good news to get out there if I don't have any friends who are not unbelievers? Man, I'm just, I'm telling you as a pastor, I've really wrestled with this one this week. But I can't ignore the model that Jesus set for me either. Perhaps it is as simple as saying, hey, go hang out with the unpopular and those who don't know Jesus. Have a party. Invite people over to your home. Why? In order to win them and love them and hopefully share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, this is something that I personally confess to you I need to cultivate in my life. I do. Reaching out to the unpopular with love. A third way, I think we can model mercy. Be kind to those who offend you. Be kind to those who offend you. This is so hard. But doesn't it seem like verbal attacks, they're just on the rise in society? I open the paper, I open Facebook, I open Twitter. That's all it is. It's just anger, anger, anger. It's all about I'm right, you're wrong. If you don't agree with me, you're the enemy. That's all I hear. Man, there's this whole culture war being played out every day, and we got to decide as Christ followers whether we want to win the argument or whether we want to win someone to Christ. You know, I said this a few weeks ago. I said, what's better? I said, what's better, to make a point or to make a friend? We cannot win people to friendship or even Christ if we don't show kindness to those who offend us. This is living out mercy. This is so hard to do. It's so hard. But let me give you an example. Let me give you an example uh, from the Bible. There's this guy named Paul. 
Okay, his name used to be Saul. Okay, just, just so we're clear, he had it changed when he became a Christian. And Paul, he's writing to a buddy named Timothy, and he's reflecting on his past. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy. He says, in the past, I insulted Christ. As a proud and violent man, I persecuted his people. But now listen to this. But God gave me what? Mercy. Mercy, because I did not know what I was doing. I did that before I became a believer. He goes on. I was given mercy so that in me Christ Jesus could show that he was patient without limit. Christ showed his patience with me, the worst of all sinners. He wanted me to be an, what? An example. An example for those who believe in him and have eternal life. Paul said, hey, listen, I'm a living, breathing example of mercy. Just look at me. Now, if you and I had lived in Paul's day, we probably wouldn't have been interested in being very kind to Paul. Okay, his name was Saul. He was persecuting Christians. He was attacking Christians. In one incident, we know that he was actually a part of the murder of a Christian. He was throwing Christians in jail. Now, enter a guy named Ananias. Okay, in Acts 9, there's a guy named Ananias. I want you to just imagine being Ananias for just a minute. Saul, who as we know is Paul, he's been hunting and killing and imprisoning your Christian friends. And then one day God says to Ananias, hey, go and find this guy named Saul and welcome him into your circle. Show him kindness. Now, if I'm Ananias, I'm going to go, whoa, 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 time out. Back the truck up, Jesus. Hold on. This is the same guy who had my friends thrown in jail. Okay, this guy is my enemy. This guy is the most offensive person I could possibly come across. And God says, no, I want you to go. And I want you to show him kindness. And guess what? He does it. Ananias goes. And he obeys God and he finds Saul. And he shows him kindness. And Saul's life has changed. And in doing so, I love this, he makes a new friend in the ministry. He finds a brother in Christ. It could even be that Ananias was the one who got to baptize Paul. That's so cool to me. Because right after he meets Saul, he's baptized. Ananias could have been the one that did it. That's awesome to me. Friends, that's the potential power of showing kindness to those who offend us. Good stuff. Hard to do, but so worth it. Last I think a tangible way to live out mercy, to show someone mercy, is just give people a second chance. Just give them a second chance. In John 8, there's a story of some religious leaders bringing a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. They kind of test on him. And at this point for this woman, there's no second chances, none whatsoever in these guys' mind. The law says she's to be stoned to death, pelted with rocks until she's dead. They're ready to stone her on the spot, which again, listen, was the deserved punishment. They were ready to pull out that truth card. Here's what she did. Here's the punishment. Here's the truth. Nothing else. But friends, mercy means giving people a second chance. And Jesus demonstrates this absolutely masterfully right here. So instead of leading with the truth like they were, do you know what Jesus led with? He led with mercy. He led with mercy. 
And then guess what? He didn't leave the truth out. He did share the truth, but he started with mercy. And guess what? It changed this woman's life. So after he deals with the men there with their rocks, he says, hey, if you've never sinned, you can throw the first stone. Of course, they all walk away because they know, well, I, I can't live up to that. Here's what happens. He looks at the woman and he says this. Jesus stood up again. He said to the woman, hey, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Neither do I condemn you. What does he lead with? Mercy. You know what's ironic? Who's the one guy here that actually had the right to condemn? Jesus. But he didn't. He led with mercy. And you know what he says after? He says, I don't condemn you either. But you know what? Go and sin no more. He followed mercy with the truth. Jesus opened with mercy, then shared truth. That communicates a second chance. That's powerful. You know, we most often, we like to open with the truth. And we usually like, like the religious leaders, we like to use the truth like rocks. Man, when people mess up, we're there to beat them up. Friends, there's a time and a place for truth. But like Jesus, we got to learn to lead with mercy. Leading with mercy when someone screws up, it's far more impactful. That is the attitude of giving someone a second chance. It's mercy first. There's a famous story about President Lincoln. I've been on a Lincoln kick lately. I don't know if you guys have noticed. I've used a lot of Lincoln. But there's a famous story about President Lincoln. After the southern states were defeated in the Civil War, and President Lincoln, he was speaking to a crowd in Washington from the balcony of the White House. <clears throat> he was laying out his plan for reconstruction. At the end of his speech, a senator from Iowa, his name was James Harlan, he shouted out, he says, And what do we do with these rebels? What do we do with these Confederates who started this whole war in the first place? Now the unmerciful crowd, they started shouting, Hang them, hang them, hang them. Now, as the story goes, Lincoln's youngest son, Tad, who was 11 at the time, was standing next to him in the box. And he looked up at his dad and he says, no, no, Papa, no, not hang them, hang on to them. Lincoln smiled down his 11-year-old boy and he addressed him, he says, that's it, Tad's got the answer, he said. We're not going to hang them, we're going to hang on to them. That's mercy. Friends, that's giving someone a second chance. Well, as I close, I just, I want to challenge you to do something risky this week, to do something hard. I want you to think about these four ways. And I want you to pick one of these four ways. And I want to challenge you to live out mercy and follow through. So here's what, here's what we're going to do just as we start to close. I'm going to ask you, if you're watching online or you're with us, would you be willing to just bow your heads right where you're at? But you can leave your eyes open, okay? If you've got a piece of paper and a pen and you want to take a note, that's great. If you're a typer, pull out your phone and type this. But, or, hey, just mentally think about this. I want to ask you four questions. And I want you to think of four people. Let me ask you these questions. First, who around you is obviously hurting that you could help this week? Think of a name. R write it down if you want, or, or type it in your phone. And if you can't think of anybody, ask God to open your eyes, because he'll show you. Second question. 
Who's an unpopular person that you could reach out to with love this week? Who's that outcast, that unpopular person at work or in your community or in your neighborhood? Think of a name. Think of a face. Write that person down. Third, let me ask you this. Who has offended you? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe a a co-worker. Who knows? Maybe it's even a politician. (laughs) Think of a name. Who offends you that you could start praying for rather than just being offended by them? Maybe if you're close enough, you could be kind to them. Last one. Who do I need to give a second chance to? Does a face pop into your mind? Write that name down. Now here's what I'd challenge you to do. As you think of those names, maybe there's only one, maybe there's two, maybe there's three, maybe there's four. Is there one name or face that comes to the surface more than the others? I want to challenge you to show mercy to that person this week. And you know what? I believe if you do it with the right attitude, the right heart, I believe God is going to bless that. I believe that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word, it, it, it's convicting. And as I look at these truths and what Jesus modeled, I think of my own faults and my own weaknesses in my life. And I pray that rather than just us hearing the word today, we would do something about it. Give us the courage to be merciful. Give us the courage to live out acts of mercy starting this week. I ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.